Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Every year at this time, there is an influx of energetic and passionate young filmmakers as they graduate from college, ready to take on the world and become the next great American filmmaker. Most graduates, including myself, enter their career ready to take on the world and do whatever it takes to make it in the industry. And that, of course, includes working ridiculously long hours, consistently staying up all night, taking on multiple jobs, and saying yes to everything because, hey, you never know if another opportunity is ever going to come along, right? Well, you know what? This was my mentality as well until it inevitably led to my very first round of massive burnout. Well, today's guest, college student and now graduate Austin Coburn, began to notice that his all-nighters and his fast food eating habits were not the proper fuel for long-term success. And his curiosity very early on in his career about finding work-life balance led him to talking to other students and professionals in filmmaking about their experiences. And he became so inspired by this topic that he ended up turning it into a documentary. Now, because he was an avid listener of my original podcast, Fitness and Post, back in the day, he reached out to me to be an interview subject for that film, and I honestly found his questions and his perspective so engaging that I then invited him to be a guest on this show so he could share the student's point of view, and that's one that we don't often get on this show. So this episode is part one of a two-part conversation. In part one, I interview Austin about his experiences and the challenges that he's going to face upon graduation. And then in part two, it gets really fun because we flip the script and I become the interviewee. Both parts of this conversation are going to offer a fresh perspective on an important topic that all of us grapple with regardless of what stage that we're in in our career. And as I already briefly mentioned, one quick caveat, this interview was recorded a few years ago back in the fitness and post days, and Austin has since graduated, and you can find links to his most recent work on Instagram at Coburn Films, C-O-B-U-R-N Films. 
All right, without further ado, part one of my two-part conversation with college graduate Austin Coburn. I'm here today with Austin Coburn, who is a film student documentary filmmaker at George Fox University, and it is a pleasure to have you here on the show with me today. Hey, Zach. So this is going to be a little bit different than some of the shows that I've done because we're going to kind of turn the tables a little bit, and this is going to be kind of a co-interview where I'm going to spend a little time chatting with you and talking about what life looks like as a student filmmaker, but then we're going to we're gonna flip things around, and I'm going to have you interview me for a little bit. And uh, the background for that is because you were actually at my house recently because, uh, well, you know what, instead of me telling, why don't you tell me why you uh, reached out to me and ended up coming out to my house? Well, I started working on this documentary film, which is about finding out if it's possible to achieve life balance in post-production, specifically for young professionals who are making their way from an educational standpoint to kind of a workforce standpoint. There's a lot of things that can happen in those five to 10 years. And so I was doing the research on this project and I came across your podcast and I was like, this is exactly the type of information and the things that I feel students should be talking about at this age, but aren't. And I know that your podcast was extremely applicable to people who are already in the industry, but I think from a student standpoint, those kind of topics of being healthy and having life balance aren't talked about at all at this age because we're so busy learning all the shortcuts and after effects and, and learning how to color correct and, and do things that after four years, it kind of just dissipates and doesn't really get brought up and you end up having to go on those problems on your own. I think that's how I came across your, your podcast and I flew down to LA there to interview you and it went great and you were very patient with how long it was. But yeah, I think uh, what you're doing with this podcast is, and it kind of just talking about that topic, I think there needs to be that kind of conversational conversation about this to young people in the film industry as well. Well, and I've found that after having done this for, I guess it's been about two and a half years, just sort of three years, now that I have a lot of demographics and Google Analytics and whatnot, um, I find that I don't have a lot of listeners that are in your age range, which is interesting because I have so much content that really helps people learn how to break into the industry or move forwards in their career. But I found that really the the majority of my audience starts in their mid-20s and goes more kind of into their early to mid-40s because they've already kind of hit that wall. And you and I discussed a little bit how most students, film students or otherwise, are still young enough that from a genetic and physical standpoint, they can just biologically detoxify all the horrible things they're doing to themselves, like the poor eating habits, the overwork, the lack of sleep and all that. And usually mid to late 20s is when your body says, yeah, I, I don't think I want to do this anymore and I'm going to start fighting back. So that was something that you and I had talked about. So I, I wanted to have this, this different perspective because I've spent several semesters teaching at USC and I have some film students and former film students that are in my program and I know listen, but I don't have as many as I would like because I think it's it's just one of those things that, like you said, it's overlooked and not thought about. So what I would actually like to do is go before you decided, I want to make this documentary film and I want to fly out and do this interview. Let's talk about your own journey where the end of the story is, I'm going to make a documentary about this. So I came into college kind of knowing that I wanted to do something in filmmaking I've been making movies for about eight years. I, I started as a freshman in high school. And in that eight 
year time period, I've spent a lot of hours and hours in front of the computer. And it wasn't until last semester that something clicked in me and I realized that's not good. That's not normal in a way of how much time I'm spending. I think I specifically starting in high school, I didn't have a computer. And so I would spend all my lunches, breaks, I would stay there till like five or six every night working in the labs just because I wanted to I wanted to edit on Final Cut. I think it was Final Cut Express we had uh, there. And so I, I would already at a young age, I was spending hours in front of the computer uh, editing. And then I got to college here. And it was kind of uh, it was a no rules kind of thing in a way where I, I had 24 hour access to labs and I could edit as long as I wanted. And just like I, I would say environment wise in our film department and cultural wise, I think there was a very misunderstood conception that lack of sleep, it was a badge of honor that lack of sleep contributed to good work because a lot of the people who would stay up all night would end up having really strong projects. And I was definitely one of those people who, who embarrassingly now who advocated for that. And so I, it wasn't until like last semester, uh, in my senior year that I, I, I started last summer, I, I took on three different, uh, editing jobs and I was working remotely and it was the first time that I had like done full-time freelancing work. And I realized that this is a problem that I've made myself kind of available too often. And I thought it would, uh, just like in, in my classes and things, if I, oh, I can change a cut at 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. and that will look really good. And that really took over my life in a way that I couldn't, I had never realized it would. And so I was lucky to have that experience and go into the senior year and be like, okay, I can make some changes this last year before I, I really actually go out into the real world. And yeah, and so senior years happened and I've been interviewing students and also learning on my own. A uh, big change I had to make was I, I would eat a lot of really unhealthy food at night, specifically fast food. I know all the closing times for the fast food places in, in the area. And so I, I made the decision to just go vegetarian last September, just so I would not eat fast food. Because if you make that decision, there's not a lot of options there. And the options that are vegetarian aren't, don't, don't taste that good. So that was a big change I made. And also a big change I made last semester was reading and walking more. I, I would walk to school every day and I would also get audiobooks and I got a library card. And my breaks didn't consist of watching a 30-minute show in front of the screen. It was like I would just read for a half hour instead. And that just tremendously also improved how much I was enjoying working and how much I enjoyed reading. So a lot's happened, but that kind of has led to where I'm at with this documentary and going into production is I kind of had to change uh, a lot of these attributes about myself before I started making a documentary on this topic. And then I started pursuing and uh, interviewing other students as well to see what they struggled with. Um, that was either similar to my own struggles or was different. And I would love to know what you heard in some of those student interviews, because that's a perspective that I don't get that much anymore because I've now been in this industry for over 15 years. And as much as I like to believe in my mind that I'm still a young, spry student right out of school, I'm not anymore. So that's a world that I'm not exposed to that much. So I would love to know if you heard other people saying, oh, yeah, it's the same struggle for me or them saying, no, man, I'm I'm a machine and I'm unstoppable and I can work 22 hours a day. So I'd be really curious to hear what they had to say. I was I was surprised to find how divided it was 
I, I was expecting it to really sway more in the way of this is really bad, but I was surprised to find people who were similar to myself that were big advocates for this. And I think, I think at this age, that's a very common mindset that the, the all nighters and the binge working, that this is, this is what you need to be good in a way. I think I also found people who were, who were very nervous at that idea that, that were staying up all night, but didn't like that they were, but kind of embraced the inevitability that that was what it took in this industry. Kind of like, I, they're one of the first people I interviewed, they were talking about that if you see people pulling these all-nighters and you you kind of come to the conclusion that this is what it makes, it takes for me to be good, it's what it takes, like people are valuing this kind of work that I'm doing, that the way I work is valuable, that that's going to kind of be just ingrained in your work mentality as you go into the workforce. And in that transition of just doing it for an A and for doing it for your friends, I think a lot of people were worried about what they would do when a, a paycheck was waved in front of them or not even a paycheck, just uh, even free work, I would say. And people really, uh, they were also really worried about um, having families and having kids in this industry, just because there was a little bit of, you're at this fork, I would say, when you graduate college. And I feel like with being in this major, when you get to that, that end game of graduation, it's like you have to choose one or the other. One student was saying like, you can't just like immediately have both. You're going to have to go, no, I'm going this way or I'm going that way. And a lot of people were worried about that they would, they would have to be detached from their families, from their kids, from their wife quite a lot more than they would with being another industry. And I thought that was interesting because I've seen a lot of really good relationships in the industry and I've seen a lot of bad ones as well. But I think the mindset there is about sacrifice. It's not about balance and that at the age of 23 and 22, that you, you feel at this ultimatum of graduation, you have to make a decision. Like you have to go one way or the other. And I, I think that those were some of the interesting perspectives that I heard. Well, I know that uh, it, it's interesting that you say this idea of, well, when I graduate, I need to choose. I need to either say I'm all in on my career or I'm going to have to, you know, just settle because I want to end up having a family. Is that kind of the, the idea? Yeah, I, I think it's it's very difficult not to fall in that mindset of your personhood being one thing after you spent four years and like thrown thousands of dollars at it. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just about being employed or getting a job. It was interesting that these that these students and they were really worried about just what it would look like in a way. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found 
bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, and I think that one term that I hear very commonly, especially at the, the younger age, it's like you said, it's not about getting a job or being employed. It's about, quote unquote, making it. So there's the, you know, nobody says, well, I want to make it in banking. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a career path. It's a very I mean, it's a very admirable career path. If that's something that you're interested in. Um, but nobody says, man, I just I got to figure out how do I make it in banking? You know, how do you get a job? How do you get employed? How do you move up in your career? But I feel like there's this sense in Hollywood and in the film industry in general that you have to make it. Mm-hmm. And is that is that something that you've heard where it's like I think it's a really good analogy and a good a good observation that you had about this idea of you've just poured in four years and thousands of dollars or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the school that you went to, you're not going to walk out of that and say, oh yeah, I I need some life balance now. (laughs) Yeah. I, I definitely think that that concept of like, you have to make it in the film industry is, is really over a lot of people's heads kind of there and what it takes. I think like that, that's something I heard also is like, like it takes this or what it takes kind of. And I think a lot of people are worried. They're worried about talent and they're also worried about like what it takes is based on your physical durability that you can, you can take those late nights and that you can take the binge working and, and that kind of stuff. And I thought that was also interesting that after like four years of skills, that it wasn't about being worried about the talent. It was about being worried about the, the physical endurance that can come from this job. It's funny because that's actually where my journey started as well when I had had my first, kind of hit my first giant wall was my mentality was not, yeah, I need to find some, you know, real solid work-life balance and relax more. It had nothing to do with that. It was, how do I survive and treat this like I'm a professional athlete? Because like you said, I need to have the durability to endure these hours. And it wasn't until I started raising kids that I'm like, 
There's a lot more to this than just being durable and surviving. There's There's got to be more out of life than just living in front of a computer for 16 hours a day. I completely agree with that. And that's also in my experience, too. I think you you hit a like I, I definitely hit a wall that made these changes. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of students who are are entering the industry, that wall doesn't happen for another five, five or 10 years. Um, and some of these really bad working habits that they've developed as an undergrad um, stay with them in that time period. Yeah. And there, there's no better time to start thinking about this and start making better habits when you're younger and you have the energy to do it. But the the problem with that is you don't have a reason to because you don't believe that it can happen to you. You just think, man, I I barely slept last night and I'm a little tired today, but I'm back at it. And you've got the Red Bull or whatever it is that, that's, that keeps you going. And because you're young enough, your body for the most part can withstand it. Um, but it doesn't take long for all that stuff to add up. And I, I used to use the word machine when people would um, kind of compliment me on my ability to turn work around. And in my mind, that's how I define myself. I'm a machine. And I remember I was in a meeting once with a very um, accomplished, legendary editor. She's uh, somebody that uh, is one of the teachers at USC. So I think it was a meeting for USC and I'd use the word machine. And she, it was almost kind of like I was getting scolded. She's like, you can't, you can't think about yourself that way. Like this, you, you have to treat yourself better. You have to focus on your health more. Otherwise this, you know, business is just going to burn you out and spit you out. And you can't use the word machine. I used to think the same way too, and it almost killed me. So that was a, a really, really common way that I looked at myself. And I know that I hear that from a lot of younger people as well. With uh, the whole ma machine thing, I think uh, a big aspect of that too, is not just like the, the binge working and just hyper focusing and, and working. I think a big part of kind of being a machine, at least for students that I've seen is this idea that being like sedentary and buckling down and just staying in a seat will enhance like your work will enhance your creative process. And, and like, I see a lot of people trying to force inspiration out of themselves just by sitting there and just trying to do it. When I hear machine, that's also what I think of is I think of this machine that's kind of just like grinding its gears at a computer desk. Yeah, it's, it's as uh, as we've learned and as I've learned and as I've tried to share with others, it's the polar opposite. The more that you want to focus and the more that you want to be creative and be productive, the worst thing on the planet you can do is sit. But that's exactly what I did as well as I would just lock myself in the dark room and put myself in the chair and just have this crazy laser vision, just this tunnel vision. And I would go, I, I remember um, when I first met my girlfriend at the time, um, she and I moved in together fairly quickly and she's now my wife, so it all worked out. Um, but she would constantly have to knock on the door and say, have you eaten today? And looking back at that now, it's absurd because I have very, very regimented eating habits. But at the time, I would sometimes go 12 to 16 hours without anything because I was just that focused. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, that's that was the case for me as well. Um, I, I think that's also what causes people in the, the editing days and at the studio at night is it's 10 p.m. I haven't eaten all day. What's open? And so you go to to McDonald's or Burger King or the fast food place that can you can drive through you can grab the food and come back to the studio and eat it in front of the, the screen. <laughs> That's, I think, the unfortunate situation that happens with a lot of people is they get sucked in and they forget to eat. And then the only alternatives that 
at late at night are those. Well, and just the, with the way that the brain and the body work, if you go all day long, all of a sudden your appetite hormones are going to get completely out of whack. So by 10 p.m., you're ravenous. Like you will just eat anything. And I can say from firsthand experience, and I'm not proud to say it, but there is nothing in the world better than it's 1130 at night in the edit suite. You haven't eaten all day and you have a frosty from Wendy's. It's magical because your brain is like, this is so good. Mm -hmm. Certainly not a good choice, but I've been there myself many, many times where like that Big Mac or whatever it is. I've never been a McDonald's fan even way back in the day when my eating habits were horrible. But when I would do fast food or sandwiches or like there was this um, this Greek place right down the street um, when I was in school at Michigan and I would just get chicken euros. I lived off of chicken euros. Um, and you just go grab them at 11 o'clock at night and you walk across the street and you start editing again. Um, and part of the problem is that it's just so stinking good because you're starving. So you associate, it's almost like it's a reward. It's like pleasure. You know, it's like, oh man, I did so much good work today. I feel great about this. I'm going to reward myself. Uh, yeah. And for here, at least the big one is this, this Mexican restaurant here called Muchas. And, and it's also interesting because it's like a lot of times it's, it's almost a social thing where if there's three or four editors in the lab at that time, then it's kind of like a collective thing or you ask other people to get it. Um, and it can be really hard to say no to that because you can see other people eating and you're kind of like, oh, I'd like a, I'd like something here just while I kind of am going through these, these dailies or sinking footage and um, that can be really hard is also the social aspect of the eating too. Well, and the problem is that that does not go away. That gets worse. Yes. So if people that are listening are saying, oh yeah, I have the same problem at school, but I'm sure that's going to change once I get into the real world. That's even harder where every, like once you get on to like a union job and it's, it's a little bit different when you're in the indie world because there's no money whatsoever. But once you get into the union world, basically every lunchtime and every dinner time, there's a knock on the door. They hand you a menu, they give you a budget, and they buy your food for you. So from a social perspective, knowing everybody is ordering from the same place, and if you're lucky, they will sit down at a table and be eating the same thing, it's very hard to say, yeah, no, I, I brought my own thing. And then you sit down at the table and you're the only one that doesn't have the Thai food or the pizza or whatever the meal of the day is. That's a really hard barrier to overcome. And it took me years to really have the confidence to just basically just say no, you know? Mm -hmm. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For 
those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Well, you bring it up. I think saying no is a is a huge problem for young people in this industry, whether it's with the hours of work, whether it's with the people you're working with. I think saying no in your mid and late 20s is a very difficult skill to even fathom as you're graduating. I'm curious to hear why. And I, I certainly can understand where this answer comes from, but I'd like to know why you've had that epiphany so early because most people don't don't get a sense of that for a while until they've entered the industry well i I, like i i was saying uh last summer i took on three different editing jobs and um and i i had this mentality of i was juggling in my junior year i was juggling vfx projects and animation projects and editing projects all together and it's like you know i can do this i can I can do do the, exactly what I was doing in school, but with actual work. I, I mean, I did get the 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 work done and things for um, these clients, but I I had such a hard time saying no. And with my phone, I I made myself available, and I I thought it was a plus to be able to be called or emailed at eight o'clock at night and fix that cut and fix these changes, and that it would make me make me look like a more dedicated and harder worker. And so it got to a point after I had finished those three jobs that I basically, I had to just, just unplug and turn off all notifications on my phone. And the only thing that would make my phone buzz was a phone call. That was one outlet that I would say that I started learning to say no. I had also, I had recently read, um, oh, what's the, I forget the author. It's the essentialism, the, the art yes. of kind of doing less. I'd recently yeah, Greg read Greg McEwen. That. And yeah. I can, I'll put a link in the, the show notes as well to the interview that I did with him. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a great book. And I had recently read that and I was like, you know, the texting, all these kinds of things, that that is an outlet that I can say no to, that the people who really need to call me, the people who really want to talk to me, I'm not going to send them 10 texts. I'm just going to have a two minute conversation with them. And that was that was kind of revolutionary for me because I, I wouldn't use my phone as much. And so when I was in public, I would never have my phone or, or really any tendency to grab it. But I think it's difficult with how available we are and how easily we can be communicated with and talked to that in person and with a job that I don't think a lot of students are prepared to say no, that we go kind of gung-ho, gung-ho into conversations, into our work and, be, and being like, I'm gonna say yes to everything right out of college. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if there's going to be a next, a next one coming up. So there's a little bit of anxiety in that, I think, as people are graduating. Yeah, there's no question that it's it's really about that fear. And I've talked with a lot of different editors and assistants about using the word no and what is the psychological reason behind it. And there's always that fear that another opportunity is never going to come up. And I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. And, you know, if there's also the mentality of, well, if I'm super busy, even if I'm on a full-time job, and I've been through this many times where I'm on a full-time job, but somebody reaches out to me, and I know there's no real way I could take on something else, but I'm thinking, man, if I say no, 
are they going to ask me the next time they have something and I am available? Mm -hmm. So maybe I have to find a way to fit this in. And I've worked two full-time jobs because of that. Like, and that's really what led to, to my demise more than once was fear of saying the word no, because I never thought they would get back to me again if I did. Yeah. I I think that's, that's on uh, just spot on. I think that fear of when someone asks you something, I mean, it is, you have an option, you have yes or no. And, and saying no always feels very, I don't know, it, it feels like you aren't committed. And, and, in a way that like you fear that they're going to see you as less. And I, I would say maybe that that you are disinterested for all eternity and not just in this instance and not just in this this time in your life that saying no is an ultimatum for everything in the future. If I want to exaggerate, I guess. Well, I don't think it's that much of an exaggeration because I had that thought for years and years as well. And I still have that thought. I went through this process several months ago where I had a few different job opportunities that came up and I was thinking these are fantastic job opportunities, but the timing isn't right. But if I say no, is this studio or this producer ever going to reach out again? It's it's tough and that never really goes away. So saying no and learning how to do it and when to do it is a very, very important skill in my opinion. But now I want to uh, transition a little bit. There's one further question that I wanted to ask and then we kind of flip things around like I said in the beginning. So you talked to a bunch of film students, but you also have talked to some other industry veterans. And I'm interested to see what some of those other industry veterans had to say about this topic that may have been the same or different from what you heard from students. Yeah, I, that's that was a huge part of this documentary was to kind of make a bridge between the bridge that goes across this unknown area. And so it's been interesting hearing people's kind of encompassing what they feel is life balance. Some people have pointed to scheduling, some people have uh, pointed to identity. And uh, one of the people I interviewed was Norman Holland at USC. It was interesting talking to him about the differences of of training in post-production now as it was um, back when he was training in post-production and the pressure to be a jack of all trades in a way that we have. And not to complain because I love the technology. I really love that I can just open an After Effects project and, and and make it communicate with Premiere and do all this stuff. And it's really cool and exciting. But there is a huge pressure to be a jack of all trades and be able to know a little bit of color correcting and a little bit of VFX and not just in, I mean, in his day, it was, uh, you, he was working on 35 millimeter film and he was doing cuts only, not even the, the fade ins and fade outs were done um, or the dissolves. And that's so difficult for me to uh, kind of comprehend that idea because I spent the last four years, not just focusing on one thing, but focusing on many, many, many things. So I think that's another thing that was interesting to hear is uh, that a lot of these people who are professionals and are so skilled. And I've talked to Kelly line, who's been an editor for SNL in Portlandia and and she's outstanding in in the editing she's done in the comedy world but it's it's from a very early age she was educated she was like i'm going to do editing and i think i don't know it's difficult to choose that as a young person it's difficult to choose i'm going to be an editor and uh or i'm going to be a writer i'm going to be a director because you you do have so many options and i don't know if this sounds kind of first world problemy when i'm saying it like oh we have so many options and we have it so hard but I think that adds to the anxiety a lot and the fear of maybe I chose wrong. 
maybe I, I should have spent more time. Maybe I need to spend more time on the skill and spend more all-nighters learning it. And it's not as focused the way that we're learning now. We don't have a mentor above us or this knighthood that I'm going to do this job and then I'm going to go to this one and then I'm going to go to this one and build skills uh, between those. It's I'm going to learn color correction for this one project um, because it needs color correction, but I don't know how to do it right now. And so you stay up all night watching a tutorial, which is okay, but I think that's perpetually the way that people learn right now. And, and that the information I love having, being able to Google that and stuff, but it's, I don't know, it can, it can really thin a person out, I would say. Well, and you can just, you end up also getting into information paralysis Mm. where there is so much information and so many tutorials and so many different ways of doing things and so many different websites that it is so easy to just jump from one blog post to the next or one tutorial to the next or one podcast to the next and constantly consume information and feel overwhelmed by it and never feel like you're actually moving forwards because you always have to be learning. And I'm very much coming from a place of personal experience because I have the same problem where when I decide I want to learn something new, like for example, how do I create a website? How do I put a podcast on the internet? I was just so overwhelmed by the amount of information And even when you've done it successfully, you're thinking, well, should I have done it this other way? Should I have built it that way, this way? Like, so it's, it, I know that feeling very, very well. And one of the reasons that I've developed the programs that I have is to help people focus in on one specific idea and start taking actions one after another and building habits because of that paralysis. Definitely. And the ability to do those things and learn how to make a website is so cool. And it's so cool that if I want to do a certain effect in After Effects, all I have to do is Google it now. But also I know that if it's 3 a.m. and I want to learn how to do that effect, I can. And I don't have to wait till morning to ask uh, maybe a professor or someone else. And um, it can get it can kind of get away from you. And I think that's what I see in a lot of students, at least in the lab is and it's part of being an undergrad is learning while you're working and making lots of mistakes and failing a lot. And that's a really good thing. And so, but I think the tutorials and, and the ability to do so much can really get away from you. And that this very rhythmic focus, uh, that used to be in this, this kind of hierarchy of training with post-production and in roles of sound mixing and editing, and it's much more individual now. Um, and that was an interesting thing to, to kind of that I've been hearing from a lot of the, the experts that has differentiated from the students is how focused their careers were and how how focused um, they are now because of it. Yeah. And that that focus is fantastic. But like we've already talked about, it can certainly get you in trouble as well, mm-hmm. um, which is the genesis of this entire program and the reason that you're on the show right now. <laughs> so I, I want to flip it around. But before I do that. I do have one further short question that I think may help you transition into kind of becoming the the interviewer and me, the interviewee. But being in the position where you are, I'm not speaking to you as somebody that's talking about their past experience as a film student. You are still a film student getting ready to graduate, going out into the world of filmmaking, trying to have a career. What's the greatest fear that you have? trying to break into this industry? I, I, you know, we kind of talked about it, but I think this idea of making it film is, is a commitment, a commitment that needs to be above all else. And I think, yeah, I, I think that fear of, of, 
of saying no to everything else so you can say yes to this one thing in your life. And in that decision right out of college, I think I, I think there's a fear of that happening to happen, that, that needing to happen right then. I would say that's my biggest fear, that making it aspect. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.